Welcome to the Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries Podcast, brought to you by Interactive Legal. Here's your host, Mary Vandenack. Welcome to today's episode of Vandenack Weaver Trulson Law Visionaries, a weekly podcast discussing updated legal news as well as evolving methods of providing legal service. My name is Mary Vandenack, founder, CEO, and managing partner at Vandenack Weaver LLC. I will be your host as we talk to experts from around the country about closely held businesses, tax, trusts, and estates, legal technology, law firm leadership, and well-being for lawyers. Before we start today's episode, I want to thank our sponsor. Here's a message from Interactive Legal. There's always a resistance to change, particularly with attorneys. Attorneys like to look back at what's worked in the past, and that makes a lot of sense. But when you realize that with a good automated drafting system, you can do a better job for your clients, deliver documents on a more timely fashion, in a more consistent and in a more costly manner. If you're not a subscriber to Interactive Legal, I urge you to go to interactivelegal.com and click on Request a Demo. And you'll be contacted about having a demonstration of interactive legal for you, which can be done right over the Internet. Don't have to leave your office. No salesperson will call. We can arrange it at a time inconvenient for you. So please go to interactivelegal.com and click on Request a Demo. On today's episode, my guest is Ina Hazan, Ph.D., a faculty member at Harvard Medical School. Dr. Hazan is a clinical psychologist, pioneer, and expert on mindfulness, biofeedback, and performance excellence. Dr. Hazan has published several books on these topics and is a sought-after speaker and trainer. Dr. Hazan has agreed to participate in two episodes of the podcast. Today, we are going to discuss mindfulness generally. Our purpose will be to lay the groundwork for the second episode in which we'll discuss biofeedback and mindfulness. Welcome, Ina. Thanks so much for having me, Mary. So, Ina, can you maybe start off by just providing us a working definition of mindfulness? Um, Certainly. There are lots of uh, definitions of mindfulness, so I will give you my favorite one and the one that works best in the context of biofeedback since we're framing for another episode. Um, The idea of mindfulness is being in the present moment before... um, giving it uh, evaluations before judgments come into play. So present moment, the way it is, letting go of judgment. And I really like that definition because it's kind of focused on being in the present as the primary thing. I've read a lot of definitions that will include other things that are kind of in my mind results that you have to get to which sometimes for me, mindfulness is just about, I'm aware that I'm really upset today and I haven't maybe accepted it or got okay with that yet. Or somebody's just got a cancer diagnosis and it's like, wow, this is really, and being in that present moment and aware that this is really hard as opposed to going somewhere else. Is that? That's, that's exactly right. You know, uh, the primary and probably the only requirement of being mindful is to be, uh, meaning to be uh, in the present um, before uh, and you know, without going off into what does this mean and what do I do about it and how do I get rid of this uh, and how do I fix it? And, you know, all of these are you know, natural inclinations, especially when the present moment is hard. Um, 
but it is imperative for us to be able to stay in the present and to allow our experience to be um, as it is. Uh, that pre-verbal awareness uh, of the present moment is incredibly important because it gives us the ability to pause long enough to then figure out what to do next. Uh, but in order to make a mindful choice of what to do next, we have to first be in the present. And there's a fair amount of science behind mindfulness practice in relation to a whole lot of things. Is that absolutely? And so, if somebody hasn't really engaged in what we call a mindfulness practice, how does somebody get started on that path? Again, because the only thing that's required is to be. Uh, you can be mindful with with absolutely anything. Uh, for people who are super busy, uh, which you know, I would say probably is most of us. Um, And, you know, where the idea of carving out a bunch of time for yet another thing uh, may sound completely impossible. Um, I encourage people to start with an informal mindfulness practice, attending mindfully to something that you already do on a regular basis. Um, So let's say, you know, most of us brush our teeth in the morning and in the evening. So brushing our teeth mindfully uh, or taking a mindful shower or drinking your morning beverage of choice uh, mindfully, something like that, you know, taking that morning, you know, walk uh, mindfully. So whatever it is that you do on a regular basis already, so you don't have to put extra time into this, but bringing in mindful awareness to that action. So could you just elaborate that uh, on one of those examples? Because I think those are really great examples of things that you can do. Because I think some people think of mindfulness and means That means they need to get out and sit on a mat or something like that. But what you're saying is you can build mindfulness into what you're already doing during the day. And so let's say you get up and the first thing you do is brush your teeth. What would look, what would mindful brushing of my teeth look like? Um, it would start with, you know, what can you see? You know, what does your toothbrush look like? Um, you know, what are the colors? What are the textures that you can see? Um, you know, what does that tube of toothpaste look like? So just seeing, you know, wh- what you can uh, observe with your eyes at that moment. Um, and then, uh, you know, what is it? What does a toothbrush feel like uh, in your hands? Uh, what does it, you know, the tube of toothpaste feel like uh, in your hands? Um, that mindfully observing the movement of putting the Uh, toothpaste on the toothbrush Uh, and then you know noticing what it feels like to just raise a toothbrush uh, to your face you know towards your teeth Um, before the toothbrush even goes in your mouth what do you smell you know what is the fragrance of the toothpaste you know is it minty is it fruity Uh, what is it that you can notice Um, and then you know noticing the first sensation of the toothpaste kind of you know know, hitting your mouth Um, what is what is that flavor like and just you know letting it sit there for a second before you actually start brushing just noticing that um the taste of the toothpaste and then mindfully observing the sensations of the toothbrush going back and forth. And, you know, what does it feel like? What is the texture uh, of the uh, toothbrush? You know, how does it feel on your teeth? What does the movement feel like? You know, what, again, you know, what is the uh, sensation of the um, uh, flavor of the toothpaste, etc. Just, you know, doing everything you would normally do, but really paying attention to what does each one of these steps feel like without rushing, without uh, going to right, what do we do next? And noticing when your mind tries to go, okay, you know, I'm almost done with this. And then, you know, my next thing is, you know, I got to prepare for this meeting and I got to think about this phone call and what am I going to have for dinner? So then noticing your mind trying to go there 
gently acknowledging that and then bring your attention back, bringing your mind back to the toothbrush and the toothpaste uh, in whatever action you are um, doing at that moment. So it's okay for extra thoughts to come into your mind because you have a human mind and that's what our human minds do. But the idea is rather than going off with that, noticing uh, the extraneous thoughts and then gently bringing your mind back to the brushing of the teeth. And so one of the benefits of just mindful teeth brushing might be that you improve your brushing so that you have less cavities or oral health issues, right? But by the same token, and I'd say that's actually, I hit on that practice because that's one of the ones that I like is because that's one of the first things I do in the morning. And I'm one of those who tends to go off thinking about the day. So I find that particularly a beneficial practice to take. But what I personally do is find some different part of my morning routine every day to be the focus of the mindful activity. But can we talk about some of the benefits of mindfulness and particularly for lawyers, because lawyers, you know, I I think a lot of times they might be brushing their teeth and they're thinking, I've got this case, I got to return this call. I didn't check these, you know, I'm going to have 2000 emails in my inbox this morning. Mm -hmm. And so staying focused on that can be really a challenge. But if we can shift that to mindfulness, what are some of the benefits that we might see? Absolutely. Uh, I think there's two types of benefits. One is the immediate, like, you know, what do you get, you know, from that, you know, mindful toothbrushing or mindful, co- you know, morning coffee or whatever it is that you do. Um, and it gives you an opportunity to to center. Uh, it gives you an opportunity to quiet your mind and prepare it, you know, for the day. Uh, it gives you sort of a mindset of, you know, let's take our time and uh, do things uh, in a more purposeful and a more meaningful way. Um, And then the longer term uh, benefit uh, is that a mindfulness practice over time um, actually changes uh, the structure and the function of your brain. Now that it it obviously happens over time, it doesn't happen at any one individual practice and practicing mindfulness once is not going to give you that benefit, Uh, but it doesn't take a a huge amount of time either. You know, research shows that after about eight weeks of regular mindfulness practice, uh, uh, there are certain parts of the brain uh, that actually add gray matter, right? So uh, they're more neurons that are growing uh, in your uh, in your brain so certain parts of the brain get get bigger uh, and then uh, those in other parts of the brain become more active so for example you know parts of the brain responsible for emotion regulation uh, learning uh, memory uh, ability to pay attention ability to problem solve ability to make decisions uh, ability to understand other people's perspective ability to understand where the other people are coming from uh, all of these uh, functions uh, improve um, in inside inside the brain uh, so with you know couple months of mindfulness practice, people tend to notice uh, that, you know, it's easier to face a challenging um, situation. Uh, Maybe it's a little bit easier to remember things, you know, maybe it's a little bit easier to figure out how to respond uh, uh, when something unexpected uh, comes your way. And, and, you know, these benefits have been shown time and time again uh, with brain imaging studies uh, and people report them in subjective reports as well. So I want to just talk a little bit more about, I asked how you start a mindfulness practice, but what a regular 
mindfulness practice looks like? Because that's really when you have, you say you have eight weeks of regular, does that mean I need to get out a mat and sit down and meditate for 30 minutes in my front room in the morning to engage in mindfulness? Or is this something I can build out? So if I want to say make a commitment to the next eight weeks, I'm going to really engage in this mindfulness practice. I like the idea of making some changes to my brain. Um, how would I do that? What does that look like? Um, I say it, it certainly does not need to be uh, a mat, uh, you know, on your, you know, back or your backyard, just sitting still for 30 minutes, although you could absolutely do that. Uh, but it doesn't have to be that. Um, there is a variety of different mindfulness practices. And I think it's important to, uh, on the one hand, choose what works for you. And on the other hand, also start with the kinds of practice that are more likely uh, going to be comfortable. You know, for a beginner, you probably don't want to dive, you know, right into, you know, a very deep practice focused on difficult emotions. Um, that's likely going to be uh, too much. So I, I do recommend starting with these more informal uh, mindfulness practices like, you know, brushing your teeth or drinking a morning cup of coffee uh, mindfully. Uh, and then maybe that's going to be only three or five minutes uh, and then building up from there, you know, fairly quickly, you know, uh, within the first week, maybe moving to something that's uh, going to be more like, you know, seven or 10 minutes um, and starting to set aside um, time for formal uh, mindfulness practice. So as you feel like, okay, I can make this work. Um, I can take some time, you know, in my day and just do something mindfully. This feels good. I like it. Uh, it's going to be easier to then set aside some time for more formal uh, practice. Um, and initially I suggest for people to uh, practice with something that's a little bit more externally uh, focused. Um, so it might be uh, mindfulness of sound, just sitting and listening. You know, what do you, what do you hear? Uh, you know, there is no uh, particular goal. There is no particular uh, sound that you're trying to look for, but just noticing what, what you hear and uh, paying attention to the sound itself without naming it, without uh, uh, judging it and without figuring out where it's coming from. Uh, it might be uh, holding something in your hand. It could be a smooth stone um, you know, or a really another object, you know, like one of those stress balls and just noticing what that uh, feels like. Uh, it can be more nature focused. You know, if you're going out for a walk, do it mindfully. You know, uh, what do you see? What do you hear? Um, you know, what do you smell? You know, things like that, uh, more externally focused. That tends to be a little bit easier, especially for folks who tend to have, um, you know, uh, more trouble with you know, paying attention to certain thoughts and certain emotions and certain physiological sensations. Um, starting with external focus is a really good way to go. And then gradually bringing that focus more internally. So perhaps uh, uh, doing a practice of, you know, something called the body scan, where you're just paying attention. Uh, what does your body feel like starting either the top of your head or at the bottom of your feet doesn't matter going you know in one, in one direction uh, or the other just you know, going you know what is you know what do my feet feel like what do my ankles feel like what do my calves feel like etc 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 and just observing i guess with no particular goal uh, or you know you can do mindfulness of the breath um, you know what is uh, so not thinking about what the breath feels like but actually noticing the sensations of the breath you know, what is an inhalation fit what does an exhalation feel like, et cetera. Uh, and then you can get um, into more uh, open awareness uh, of practices where you're just noticing whatever comes to mind. Um, you know, it might be thoughts, it might be feelings, it might be sights, it might be sounds, um, it might be uh, various sensations and just allowing, you know, all of that to come and go and noticing 
a particular thought or a sensation and letting it go and coming back with your breath as an anchor. Uh, those are you know, more, I guess, more advanced uh, practices, and uh, I recommend getting into those as uh, as you have a bit of practice and some comfort um, with uh, with mindfulness. Um, and finally, adding in uh, compassion and self compassion practices, and you can you, you can start with those much earlier on as well, um, with the idea of just bringing kindness to yourself. Um, sending kindness out uh, to the world. Um, and we can all certainly use more of that these days. A lot more of that, right? Mm, absolutely. We are going to take a brief break from our episode for a word from one of our sponsors, Carson Private Client. Wealth planning focuses on liquidity management and charges you a fee based on a percentage of your assets. But entrepreneurs typically invest in their business, resulting in light liquidity. That requires a unique strategy. At Carson Private Client, we provide a proactive and holistic strategy for building and protecting your wealth. Our mission is to alleviate the stresses and the burdens of coordinating all of those financial strategies. Carson Private Client will work with your current team of advisors to customize a strategy that manages all aspects of your life and wealth, giving you back the time to focus on what matters most. Complex needs require sophisticated solutions. Reach out to our office at 402-779-8989 to schedule your consultation. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Okay, let's continue our episode. So if I were going to like take, because that was a lot. So I'm going to say if I were somebody who had never practiced mindfulness, I said, I want to just do one of those things tomorrow. It might be, I pick like the toothbrush practice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then my other question is, so especially for lawyers, but I think this is true of a lot of people, not just lawyers, is I know that we got super busy through our days and you catch yourself going at this mock pace trying to do what a lot of people refer to as multitasking, which I, I don't really believe that many of us can v do that and do it effectively. And I think it's more like adrenaline rather than real when we get there. But I know I catch myself like all of a sudden talking really fast and blah, blah, blah. And how can you kind of get yourself to, do you have any ideas on how you can just get yourself to build mindfulness to catch yourself? Because that's what I always find the difficult part is all of a sudden I'm on a roll down a path and even though I engage in mindfulness practice, I'm like, oh, wow, go down this path. How can you get those practices through your day? Um, initially, probably just scheduling them or putting reminders in your phone um, until it becomes a habit. You're right. It's hard. Um, and we're so used to going, um, you know, 10 miles a minute, like just going, 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 going from one thing to the next. Um, and we, you know, we feel so much pressure, you know, busy lawyers feel, you know, so much pressure, you know, there's so much that needs to happen. And you're absolutely right. Multitasking is not, not actually possible. Um, you know, your brain is not, is not capable of attending to two things at once the way we think it does. Um, so people who are, uh, who think they're good at multitasking, it, their brains are actually pretty quick from, in switching from one task to the other, but there's definitely switching going on. Your brain is not doing two things at once. And people who think they're bad at multitasking, the brain takes longer to switch from one thing to the other. And we notice that gap. Uh, but none of us are terribly efficient when we try to multitask. I think that's just important to know and remember that. If we're trying to do two things at once, 
and we think that's increasing our efficiency, it's actually decreasing the efficiency because even though um, you know the time that it takes to switch from one task to another may not be noticeable, it's there. There is a lag and we lose efficiency that way. Uh, so it's in our best interest to do one thing at a time, uh, setting aside time um, you know, for whatever it is that we're doing. Uh, and mindfulness practice improves uh, efficiency in the long term because it helps the brain focus on that one thing. Uh, and over time, our ability to pay attention, ability to focus improves. Um, and I think the only way to remind ourselves to do that in the beginning is a decide this is what I'm going to do. I trust that this is going to be helpful. Uh, let's start with just a few minutes at a time, you know, five minutes um, at a time, people are maybe more willing, more willing to set aside a little bit of time rather than a lot of time. Um, and when you notice that, you know, those, those five minutes make a difference in how you feel right in this moment, it might be easier to set aside five minutes the next day and then maybe a little bit more time, you know, the following days, et cetera. But I think it initially just has to be intentional. I say I have my Apple watch on and on that it has like the newest version of the watch actually has a mindfulness app that every 90 minutes reminds me to stop and breathe for a minute. And when it first, it first was every 30, I'm like, I'm going to do this every 30 minutes. And that was too much, but I set it to 90 and most of the time then I will do that. So sometimes it can be just finding a tool like that. Yeah, uh, ab- absolutely. And it's nice that it's so easily available now and you know, just buzzes in your wrist, right, to remind you and you know what it means. And you can take a few mindful breaths. You can, you know, do some mindful stretches. You can do some other movement. It doesn't have to be any one particular thing um, as long as you attend to whatever it is you're doing mindfully. And I was introduced to mindfulness at one of those really tough moments in my life. And somebody gave me the book. The first book I read on mindfulness was the, I think it's the Catastrophe of Living. Are you familiar with Full, full, cata- full Catastrophe Which living, is yeah. like quite the book, right? And so it was mm-hmm. given to me and somebody said, well, read this chapter. I, of course, like you have to read this whole ginormous book. But it does talk a lot about, you know, how mindfulness works when we're in a really tough spot. So how would you describe how mindfulness can really help us develop the skills to meet challenges in life? With mindfulness, we learn to allow um, the parts of the difficult experience that are not under our control to be there. So difficult thoughts, difficult feelings. We are trained to believe that we can control them, right? We hear this all the time. Oh, get a grip on yourself. Stop worrying, uh, right? You know, oh, don't be anxious, things like that. Uh, and that's not actually possible. A ton of research showing uh, that, you know, if you were to tell somebody, stop thinking about it. The, the last thing that's going to happen is the person not thinking about it, right? Most likely they're going to think about it more and more. So we, we don't have the ability to control our thoughts. And the idea that we can just change our feelings, you know, sounds nice, but again, not actually possible. So we end up wasting our internal resources um, and actually our physiological resources. You know, research shows that we waste blood glucose, which is the basic uh, fuel, basic uh, source of energy for the body uh, and the brain. We end up wasting that on futile attempts to change what's not under our control. And that's our thoughts and our emotions and some of our physiological sensations. With mindfulness, we learn to let go of the attempts to control of what's not under our control and then focus our efforts on things that actually are under our control, which is the response to those thoughts and feelings. So when you find yourself in a difficult situation with mindfulness training, what what you find yourself doing is 
uh, figuring out what is under your control, what's not, uh, and then not spending as much time trying to not feel anxious or trying to, you know, get yourself together and things like that, but rather, okay, this is what I'm noticing. This is what I'm feeling. Um, you know, I'm feeling discomfort. I'm noticing fear. I'm noticing uncertainty. It's okay. It's okay to feel this way. How do I respond to that? What do I do with this? And, you know, what action is in my best interest? So the focus becomes on what is actually under your control. And so with any catastrophe that you suddenly have, I mean, somebody finds out they have a cancer diagnosis, they lost their job, their spouse has filed for divorce. Those are the really tough moments. Mm -hmm. There's smaller tough moments too, though, correct? And so that applies to any, but sometimes it's those big ones. Does it help to have developed that mindfulness practice before you get there? Uh, It certainly does. Uh, You know, uh, it's just like, uh, you know, if you've learned, you know, CPR and you've never practiced it, you probably don't want to be practicing CPR when somebody is having a heart attack in front of you, right? You want to have some practice on a dummy first. Um, So it's uh, with mindfulness uh, or really with any new skill, uh, you'd like, you know, you want to have some practice in uh, low uh, pressure moments uh, and then to be able to transfer that skill to uh, real catastrophes um, that, that you described. Um, when the mind and the body are in that, you know, full catastrophe mode, uh, without previous practice, it's going to be really hard to suddenly become mindful. Well, thank you. We are at the end of our time for this podcast. So do you have any last thoughts? Um, I would say if you are at all wondering about mindfulness and thinking whether it's uh, whether it's for you, just give it a try. You know, spend a few minutes, uh, commit to a week off, you know, three minute practice uh, each morning and see what happens uh, and decide for yourself. Um, there is no such thing as it's impossible or I can't uh, do it. You may, de- you may decide it's not for you. You're not, you're not willing to do it. But there is not a not a person out there who can't. Um, and. Keep in mind that you won't be able to keep your mind completely blank. That's not a necessity. uh, And it's very much a myth of meditation. We don't need to have a blank mind. You just need to keep bringing your mind back to whatever it is that you're focusing on. And then be kind when your mind wanders off. To yourself, right? (laughs) Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for being with us today. That's all for now. I want to thank our sponsors, Interactive Legal and Carson Wealth. Thanks for listening to today's episode and stay tuned for our weekly releases. Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries is made available by the firm and its attorneys for educational purposes and to provide general information, not to provide specific legal advice. Use of the Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries podcast does not create an attorney client relationship between you and the firm or any of its attorneys. The Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries podcast should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice, and you should contact an attorney in your state about any legal needs or questions you may have. A Huda Media Production.